Well, tonight we continue in the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you will turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, and we will read through chapter 11, verse 1. This is one of those places where we're reminded that the chapter and verse divisions were added later. In fact, verse 1 very clearly seems to go with chapter 10 more than it does with the thing that follows. But all of this is a reminder. There's a portion of this particular text that is kind of like a be-like sermon. Now, when I was in seminary, I was told to avoid be-like sermons. You know those sermons, be like Moses, be like David or Elijah. And the problem with those types of sermons is it's neither possible to be just like them, nor is it salvific. In other words, we can't be saved if we're like those people. They were neither perfect, nor were they able to save others. And yet, here is a little mini-sermon by Paul where he says, be like me. This, however, is to follow Paul's example after coming to faith in Jesus Christ in consideration of how that will work in the life of the church. So follow along as I read verse 23 of chapter 10 through verse 1 of chapter 11. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice then do not eat it, for the sake of the one who informed you, and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. As we consider these words, let us bow briefly in prayer. Lord, use these words to our benefit, that your spirit might place them in our hearts, and that we might believe them, we might follow them, and we might be encouraged by them. Build us up, Lord, by the power of your spirit through your word. I pray that the things spoken and the things thought here tonight would be pleasing in your sight. For you, Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My brother's name is Mike. Now, Mike was already out of the house. He's 13 years older than me. So he was already out of the house when the Be Like Mike advertising campaign came out. Perhaps you remember that. There was a man by the name of Michael Jordan who happened to be a decent basketball player. And the idea was in that advertising campaign with the star power of that particular athlete to buy things so that you could be like Michael Jordan. 
However, I do think my brother Mike was still around the house when the Mikey commercials came out. Perhaps you remember them, the advertisements for Life Cereal, when all of the other kids would say, give it to Mikey, he won't eat anything. And then there's this shocking gasp as they look down the end of the table and here he is eating his Life Cereal and they say, he likes it. And then what do they do? They go to follow Mikey's example and try the life cereal. You see, the context here is not nutritious cereal like life. It's not to be like Mike by buying products. The context here is still eating meat. Why is that such a big deal in the church at Corinth? Well, it's because of the context of the idol worshipers and the temple practices in that area where it seems all of culture and society revolved around idol worship and particularly because when you went to the market or you went in someone's home, they were likely to have meat only because they got it from the sacrifices offered in the temple. And what do believers do when they don't believe in those gods? And it's considered, as Paul has just said, it's considered adhering to demon worship to participate in the practices and sacrifices of idols. Well, in these situations, can we simply do as we please? Well, he says yes and no. Look at what he says here. First of all, he says some things are helpful, helpful things for the good of others. We'll explain that. Then he gives this specific example in the context in regard to meat eating. And finally, he will remind us in perhaps one of the most memorizable passages or verses that everything is to be for God's glory. So first of all, the helpful things for the good of others. Notice what he says. He says it twice here. All things are lawful. Now, he's not saying awful. He's saying lawful. Those are very similar sounding words. The idea of something being lawful, it means that it is uh, acceptable according to the law. Now, of course, he's not saying here that all things murder, adultery, uh, you know, those types of things, stealing, false witness. He's not saying those things are okay to do. What he's saying here is in the context here of eating meat, it's okay to either eat the meat or not eat the meat. It's okay to do certain things and abstain from other things. And so he says here, in this sense, everything falls into this category if it's one of these indifferent things or one of these things that we don't say in and of itself has an immoral content. In other words, if it's something that is not wrong to do by itself according to the law, then it's something that is permissible. So we have a lot of things sometimes in technical theological language, we call it the adiaphora. Uh, That is the indifferent things or the things that have no moral uh, value in and of themselves. And he says all these things are lawful, everything. But then he qualifies that. He says not all things are helpful. Now it's interesting, he says that very same thing back in chapter 6. In fact, it's the very same verse as chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. So it's a reminder, it's a continuation of this theme through this section 
of Scripture. In other words, is it always helpful to use our freedom in these indifferent things to do whatever we want in the presence of others? He says, well, no, not everything. In certain circumstances, it's better to do one thing than another. And so you might ask, well, Paul, are you waffling here? Are you saying it's okay to eat meat or not to eat meat? But then are you saying you have to consider whether or not it's okay to eat meat or not? Well, in a sense, yes. Here's what he says. Not only are these to be helpful things, they are to be things that build up. They are constructive. In fact, the word here is the word to construct a house. The idea here is that it's something that builds up and edifies others and does not tear anyone else down. In fact, the point is this. Verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. In other words, if we have a neighbor who has a problem with others eating meat because they know that meat in their society and their culture is very much connected with idols, then for the sake of that person, I'm not going to place the stumbling block of eating meat in their way. Of course, there are many things in that category that we could apply to today, isn't there? But it says, for the good of one's neighbor, particularly here, verse 25, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. You see, it's particularly for conscience sake, not your conscience. You know that it's okay to eat meat or not eat meat, or you know that it's okay in some indifferent things of our culture today to do one thing or not to do another thing, and yet for the sake of somebody else, for their conscience, you're willing to abstain. Okay, so we don't live in a, in a society, in a culture, where everybody is involved, the butchers and the grocery store uh, meat sellers and all those things, the farmers, that they're not all involved in idolatry. So what's a good example for us to use in this area? Well, I began to think of the fact that sometimes, uh, this is kind of a silly example, but some people like to listen to loud music. I don't particularly like to listen to loud music. It's not my thing. But I do have a, a child in particular that loves to listen to loud music. However, it's okay for him to listen to that loud music unless it places a stumbling block in someone else. Now, of course, we know that loud music is not music that has bad content or immoral things within it or things that are not of a biblical worldview. That's not the music we're talking about. But here, just the volume of the music. Is it okay for us to listen to loud music? Absolutely. But if it places a stumbling block in front of someone else and it causes their conscience to be seared or because of their understanding of things causes them to misunderstand the gospel, then, of course, we would not listen to loud music. Or perhaps it might be the worship instruments we use. There are some people who believe we should use pianos and other instruments in worship, and there are others who don't. If I'm in a church where those, by their conscience sake, believe we should not use those instruments, I'm not going to bring an instrument and begin playing it. At the same time, if I'm in a church in which they use lots of instruments, that's okay. I'm going to go there, too. You see, we're considering others First, in these areas of adiaphora or indifferent things, 
not to compromise our beliefs, but in consideration of the conscience of others in putting them first. And of course here, the specific example is meat eating. If you'll look with me, he says, For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's a quote from Psalm 24. He's already talked about eating whatever is sold in the meat market. And then verse 27, he talks about those who might be invited to pagan households to dinner in which meat is set before them. So what about this specific example? What about meat sold in the marketplace? Again, the marketplace in Corinth was a place where if they were selling meat, chances were better, probably better than 50-50, that that meat had come from sacrifices that were being offered in the temple. And so that Christian would go into that marketplace and understand that the meat is probably where that came from. And so should they go in and begin asking questions, oh, by the way, was this offered to sacrifice to the idols? Because if it is, I shouldn't eat it. And he says, no, eat it and don't ask. In other words, when you go to the marketplace, it's okay to eat meat. You know it's okay to eat meat. Go ahead and buy it and eat it. Don't ask where it came from. Because everything belongs to God. Note he quotes this from Psalm 24 that we read. He says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And of course, Jesus himself, he, he declared all things clean to eat. So in this context, it's eat and don't ask. But what happens if somebody says, I want you to come to my house and eat with me. And you know this is an unbeliever. So you're invited to dinner at an unbeliever's house. Now, one of the most important things here is the assumption is that you're willing to go to that person's house. You're not willing to say, hey, I'm a believer, I can't associate with unbelievers at all, so I need to separate myself completely from the world. No, he says, when you accept that invitation, if you do, it doesn't mean you always have to, but it means you may be willing to. In fact, this was something Peter had to be shown by the Holy Spirit that it was acceptable to associate with Gentiles. Therefore, he says here, when you eat... At that unbeliever's house, use the same principle as in the marketplace. Eat and don't ask. Notice what he says. He says, if you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Now, when we look at this, we think, well, that's normal. We don't ask where things come from. But for their time, it was revolutionary. In fact, today, even still, Those who practice strict dietary laws according to the Old Testament are called kosher followers. And you might know that in stores, you have to go through a strict routine to be able to call something legally kosher for them to buy. And so they, in that context, will not buy anything that is not with that kosher label. That is, it is completely free from any contamination that would cause them to break the Old Testament law. So this was revolutionary in Paul's day to say, when you eat with a pagan, when you eat with an unbeliever, don't even ask where things come from. Just enjoy the bounty and have fellowship with them and eat with them unless one thing were to happen. He says, if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. In other words, meat, when you are informed that it was offered to idols, is not acceptable. 
Now, Paul has already said it's okay to eat meat. Even if it's meat offered to idols, we know in reality there aren't idols, so we have that freedom to eat those things. But for the sake of that person's conscience who may be an idol worshiper, or previously he said for the sake of the conscience of a fellow believer who didn't understand yet all the things of the true doctrine of this matter, then for their sake, don't put a stumbling block in front of them but instead be reminded that you cannot participate with idols. So he says, don't eat. Why? For the sake of the informer's conscience. For the sake of the informer. And the guy who says, by the way, this is offered to idols, this was a sacrifice, that person then is looking to see if then you will participate in that particular item. And he says, here, you cannot do that by your conscience. You see, it's not to limit your own liberty with thanksgiving. Notice what he says, I do not mean your conscience, but his. Why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? This idea is liberty, authority. We have the authority to eat whatever we want. So we're not limiting ourselves just because we think it's the the wrong thing to do. No, we think it's okay to eat that meat. But because that person has said it is offered to idols, it's not acceptable for us to participate in that practice. And for the sake of that person's conscience, we will abstain from it. Now, this sounds squishy, doesn't it? Kind of a squishy theology. Is it accepting immoral activity depending on the person? No. It is a recognition of the importance of truth and practice. You see, truly, we cannot participate in idol worship in a pagan temple because that is participating in demon worship. And we also know that this meat cannot be contaminated by something that doesn't really exist. All meat is declared clean by Christ. On the other hand, we know that our practice must be such that we're always taking into consideration the most important things, others before ourselves. Now, how does this apply today? Again, normally we're not going to the marketplace, and I don't think anybody I've experienced has told me in the grocery store, by the way, these meats, uh, the, these meats were from animals that were offered in sacrifice to idols. I don't think I've had that experience. But what if somebody were to say to me, and they have said to me, let's say I won the lottery and you think gambling is wrong. Let's say somebody gave an extensive amount to the church and it came from gambling funds. I would say, well, do I know that it comes from gambling funds? Because if I don't know, there's nothing I can do about it. But if they say, by the way, I've won the lottery, and here it is, here is $100,000 that I've won in the lottery by gambling. And I said, in that case, I would reject it because I think gambling is wrong. Again, another example, perhaps. I come from a place uh, in my first church in an area where there were many people who believed there was only one acceptable English translation of the Bible, the King James Version. I don't believe that. I think it's acceptable to use different translations. And so here, uh, in our church even, we use a different translation called the English Standard Version. But if I were to go to a place in which they believe that the King James Bible was the only acceptable translation and I was invited to preach or to teach, what would I do? I took my King James Bible. 
because my King James translation is the word of God. And it's important, and I did not want that stumbling block to be placed in front of them that they might not hear God's word. You see, we must take consideration of others into account in our practice. Why? Because of verse 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, on one hand, we say that's a great verse to teach our kids. That's a great, easy verse to memorize. No matter what you do, this is a great Thanksgiving verse. When you go to Thanksgiving, you're doing a lot of eating and drinking. When you go to Christmas parties, you're doing a lot of eating and drinking. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. But what does that mean? On the one hand, it means that whatever we do, we're thinking about what's right and wrong in God's eyes and not in man's eyes. And so we have the freedom to do many things. It's controversial in many churches to preach from the pulpit. It's acceptable for somebody to moderately drink alcohol. It is, according to scriptures. At the same time, it is not correct to go and get drunk. But does that mean that in certain circumstances, I have the freedom in whatever I do to go out and drink moderately? Well, if someone else has a problem with that, no, I should abstain for their sake, as well as if it's something I struggle with. So therefore... All things to God's glory. And notice what he says after that. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Now we have to understand. There are times when we cannot please everybody and please God. The first thing we do is we please God. But notice what he says, we try to please everyone. Of course, we know that's impossible. (laughs) We can't possibly please everybody. Especially because some people follow Jesus and other people don't follow Jesus. Especially because somebody has preferences in one area and, and they don't have preferences in another. There might be people in our church who are vegans or who are those who are vegetarians. There might be those who who love to eat meat and meat products. There might be those who, who, by their background and circumstances, feel that it's completely wrong for someone to drink alcohol in any form, whereas there may be others who moderately drink alcohol in their own home. So we cannot possibly please everyone in every circumstance, but in this sense, we try. We try because of this. We don't want to give offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. In other words, we're not out to offend. In other words, even if I understand liberty in the scriptures, in the case of this context of eating meat, I'm not going to impose my understanding of that on those who are ignorant of it so that I'm causing them to stumble for no reason. Don't place something in their way purposely. One of the examples, I think, in this area is the custom of dress in different contexts. If you go to another culture, are you going to impose upon them your Western standards of wearing clothing? Or are you going to participate in the way that they clothe themselves? Obviously, if they don't clothe themselves, we're going to clothe ourselves. But if they wear things that are different than we wear, what are we going to do? We're going to wear things that they're accustomed to so it does not serve as an offense to others. 
do not offend those unnecessarily. It also says this. It says, not seeking my own advantage. You see, so often what happens is we either might participate something or not participate in something so we can gain reputation among others, so that we may gain basically a following of some sort. He says we don't do this for that purpose. It's never about us. It's always about God and about others. For here's our goal, that of many they may be saved. You see, our concern is not about our rights. This is what Paul has been saying throughout this section to the Corinthians. He's been saying it's not about our rights. It's about God's grace. It's not about our rights before others. It's about giving up those rights for the sake of others hearing the gospel and being saved. It's more important that someone is able to see the gospel played out in my life and spoken from my lips than it is that they see my rights and freedoms in Christ. This is why Paul will say, I'm a slave of Christ. Because he knows it's more important that he's willing to give up his rights and his privileges than it is that he is to exert them for the sake of his own advantage. His concern is that more people will hear the gospel and be saved. And that should be no different with us. You see what this is, as Paul says this, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In other words, he says, imitate Paul. You know, he's he's using this this sermon that we're told not to preach. Be like me. Now, I thought here, of course, the the, the obvious illustration here is the WWJD movement several years ago. You can still get bracelets and all those things. And this is not what would Jesus do in what so many people thought it was to be good. This is what would Jesus do in order to determine how to treat others. You see, the context of this, be imitators as I am of Christ, is how did Christ treat other people? How did Christ walk with others? How did he teach others and come alongside others? It's not how did Christ follow the law, because we know we cannot imitate him this way. We're not perfect. We can never be perfect. We cannot earn our salvation. But it is once we have become saved by Christ's grace and we have trusted in Christ alone for salvation and he's begun to sanctify us, what is it that we do? Well, think of these things. The key is understanding that we desire to be transformed to the image of Christ. How did Jesus act among the Samaritans? He sat down at that well and talked with a Samaritan woman. They didn't do that. They didn't talk to a Samaritan. They didn't even walk through their villages. And he did. And men didn't talk to women in those days, particularly a Samaritan woman. And he came and he basically told her her life story in a moment. How did Jesus act among lepers? Lepers were excluded from society and outcasts. And he touched them and healed them. How did he treat tax collectors and prostitutes? He didn't shun them and turn his nose at them. He ate with them, and he told them that they too could be children of Abraham. Yes, these things offended the Pharisees, but how did Jesus act with the Pharisees? 
He acted with them and on, in, on an intellectual level on their plane, sharing with them a love for the word of God and showing them that if they would just look at the Old Testament, they would understand it was about Jesus. He loved everyone in this way. With Jesus, truth is not compromised in any way. Each one of those groups of people could just as easily have been offended by Jesus' preaching of the truth as they were comforted by the fact that he would associate with them. You see, there is not an intentional effort to cause someone to stumble because the gospel is offensive enough. And yet here, what should we do? When we live in this life and we sometimes disagree over the acceptable things and practices that we can do, sometimes when we're wrong, we'll be rebuked and corrected by scripture, not by man's understanding or man's tradition. As we're rebuked or corrected by those things, yet still we might disagree on how we should live our life on an everyday basis or some of the the adiaphora of scripture. And yet how do we deal with those things? We understand glory to God first consideration of others second, and then finally, our liberty in Christ that he has given us by his grace. Let's pray. Father, help us to be imitators of Christ. Help us to see the faith that is expressed among your servants like Paul, and to mimic that faith only insofar as it imitates our Lord. Conform us, Lord. Transform us to the image and likeness of Jesus. Lord, we know we're not all going to have the same talents and the gifts because you are a God of great variety. But yet at the same time, Lord, we pray that morally, in our relationship to others, and in our love for God and for the church, you would make us like Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.